welcome back to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. This podcast is specifically about licensing music. So let's say that you want to put an album out there and let's say that you want to do a cover song. You want to do, I don't know, a Rolling Stones song or some child children appropriate song or not children appropriate song, whatever. Well, how do you go about doing that? And and is it easy? Is it hard? What if it's in the public domain? What if you uh, what if you want to do a parody? You know, Al Yankovic has made a pretty good career out of doing parodies. Well, how how does that work? Well, I didn't know much about it, but I do know someone who knows more than me, and so I decided to get them on the podcast. And so, and this is kind of exciting because this person's catalog is so huge. I got lost in it all week listening to it, but I'll let them explain more about themselves presently as we welcome Randy Kaplan to the barn. Hello, Randy. Hello, Cowboy Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm so happy to, to talk to you because I've been a fan of your music for a long time. Not as long as you've been making music, but I've been, I've been definitely hearing your stuff all over the place. And every time I hear one of your songs, I, I first of all, I immediately know it's you. And second, I, I usually start uh, either laughing or get introspective, which is kind of a cool thing about your music. Nice. And the third thing is, I'm always overwhelmed. I'm always just so impressed with what you what you deliver. So can you give us a, a quick two minutes? Why are you doing this and how did you get here? Sure. Well, uh, the kids music came to me. Uh, the career kind of presented itself to me. I didn't go out looking for it. I was trying to be a regular rock star for a couple of decades, you know, and then <laughs> I, I uh, to, to varying degrees of success in, in my non-kids music. I never thought of doing kids music. People suggested it to me for a long time. My aunt still says, I'm the first one that told you. But I, I always rejected it and said, I'm not going to sing for kids. And then I was living in Brooklyn and I just needed a job. I was tired of being a waiter on and off for years. And my friend said, oh, my kid's preschool uh, is hiring. You know, so I wound up getting a job there at first against my will. Begrudgingly, I went in to like sing some songs for kids. And I loved it immediately and had re- realized I found my niche pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just started performing in Brooklyn at this preschool, Bean Sprouts. And then, then it was time to, people kept saying, you should make a record. You have these CDs out for non-kids. Why don't you make a kid CD? So that's the, when I first started thinking how to go about that and what songs to put on it. And by the time my second CD came out, someone sent it to Mindy at Kids Place Live, Sirius XM, and she started playing my stuff, unbeknownst to me. Mm. And then I realized pretty soon when I got a, the biggest royalty check I ever got that, whoa, what, the, what is this? That must be a mistake, you know? And then I realized this was a viable career, which I had on and off with some other, you know, other, uh, you know, side hustles, as they say these days to uh, make ends meet. But now with a wife and kid, I, I, have a, um, I have a second job. So I have like a dual career that pretty much is a 50-50 career. I'm a school teacher and a musician. And it's pretty much 50-50 as far as, well, it's, it's, it's 80-20 as far as time goes. I now dedicate most of my time to being a teacher. But as far as like rewards and in my thoughts and stuff, it's still about 50-50. So. Oh, right on. It's, uh, yeah, so I'm, and I'm, I'm still doing it. So it's good. <laughs> So you just and you just released your seventh um, children's and I'm putting look I'm doing air quotes children's album right but but you right. also have eight not for kids albums yeah out I, saw, there. I I I started since no one could read air quotes I I started saying calling the two categories 
not just for kids with the capital just, you know, all in caps and the, and the adult ones, not really for kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that gray area, that chaos area between categories that some of us find most interesting. So, of course, my favorite thing is when adults say, hey, I listen to the stuff that's supposedly your children's music when the kids aren't around. And there are some kids who say, I prefer the non-kids music. You know, the parents who are a little more lenient with what material the kids can listen to and mm-hmm. themes they can be exposed to. So, yeah, there are two broad categories and they're pretty useful as far as thinking about which type of music I'm doing. But, of course, there's a gray area in between. Sure. <laughs> when you yeah. go to perform live, then, do you do pretty much, and forgive me because I, I actually don't know much about your live show, but you do right. pretty much a one-man show. Is that true? True. 99% of the time I perform, it's just as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I record, except for this, this last record is my most solo kids record I've ever done by far. It's mostly 90% just me on this uh, Shake It and Break It. My friend Mike and pr- producer Mike plays a couple of instruments and we add some sound effects. But uh, most, all the records besides that one for kids have been full band records. But when I play by myself uh, at a show, it's just me. Sometimes it's, I have to twist my wife's arm figuratively to join me on stage. She's got a professional, great voice and she sings on some of the records, but she doesn't really feel comfortable on stage, but maybe she'll get there. And once in a while I'll do a show that requires a band and I'll just, you know, it'll, if it's worth it, I'll get some friends together to bat me up for half the show. Mm-hmm. Try to do like the basic blues song so we don't have to rehearse too much. Do you ever do like a back-to-back? Like, okay, so we're going to do the six to eight for kids and then we're going to do the 10 yeah. to two for adults. I offer it a lot, but I'm rarely taken up on it. Once in a while, I'll do a show out of town or a house party, where a house concert where I'll do the kids show in the day. And if I'm staying over, if it's out of town, I'll, I'll then do like a little, uh, you know, night show for the adults where I could do some of the source songs, you know, the original mm-hmm. songs that I had to change the lyrics to for kids or just some other adult themed songs. Um, but it rarely happens. 95% of my performances focus on my family music, which is, there's always a layer that adults can understand that kids don't, but they're all the songs that are not just for kids songs. But, um, I used to, you know, used to, that, that percentage has changed over time and it's, it's weighed much more now toward the kids music. My live shows are almost exclusively, you know, I'm hired to do like family appropriate performances. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that's where the money is. Because that's why all these children's musicians are just, you know, making bank doing this. Because that's, you know, that's really where MTV is going to end up. (laughs) But today, and there was a nice segue Mm -hmm. in there when you were talking about your your wife singing. Because I've heard her sing. Uh, She, Mm -hmm. you guys did a cover of that great ballad from The Music Man, uh, Mm -hmm. The Night My Someone, which I thought was just so lovely and perfect. And that segues oh so neatly into the conversation today, <laughs> which is about licensing. Yeah. And well, wait a minute, you're doing these cover songs. Right. If, if you could share your wisdom from the, from the start, how do you go about doing that? And what, you know, what's the process? And today I want to talk about, uh, I think three things. I want to talk about the mechanical licensing aspect. I want to talk about parodies. And then I also want to talk about public domain, because as I listen to your catalog, I think I identified examples in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. So let's start with sure, mechanical definitely. licensing. So what's, what's the deal there when you want to do a cover song? The law is that if you want to do a song that you didn't write, as long as it's been published, the, you can do it. So the law is that all you have to do is properly fill out the paperwork 
to license the song. That means, for instance, the, I think the number is still correct now. If, you, uh, if you're going to print, now the digital realm has changed all this, but still this is in effect. If you want to print uh, you know, or, or produce 1,000 copies of a CD and I have a song on it that I didn't write, I have to license that song and the, and the standard rate is 9.1 cents per copy. It turns out to be $91 for 1,000 CDs. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some criteria that have to be met. The song has to be under a certain amount of t- time. You know, you have to go do the right form. Most, of, most songwriters who don't have a problem with people covering songs, just they can't deal with this, the, running this procedurally and all, and all this stuff. So they, they get an agency like Harry Fox and they sign their catalog up with Harry Fox, who then takes a percentage of the mechanical right licensing fee. So for if I want to do a cover, now I, I've made my mistakes come in, that I decide artistically what I want to do. And then when I'm all done and I've paid my producer and spent all this time, then I'll first go, okay, now I got to license these songs. I advise people to figure out if the licensing is available and easy first, because if the person's not signed up with Harry Fox or an agency like that, then you're going to have a lot. It's going to be a lot, take a lot more time and effort to license the song. So for instance, you know, a, a, a song that you want to cover, you should first check if it's what, whether, whether it classifies as, you, it's licensable. It's in the public domain. We'll explain that later. But if it's at Harry Fox, it's just very easy. You go there, you say the release date, you say how many CDs you're going to print, which is becoming almost people don't even print CDs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pay the fee to them. And then 99% of the time, there's no hitch. You just get the license and you could do it. There's also a separate license we have to pay now for how many downloads you're going to get. So you have to pre- you have to predict that in advance, like make an estimate, and then it's pretty much the honor system right now. If you if you realize that you've gotten way more downloads than you signed up to license, then you have to go back and say I need more, you know. So that's still where the wild west aspect comes in. I'm sure there are certain ways that people monitor this stuff, but it's still very it's still in its infancy. This new this this new uh, legal stuff with the internet and the different all the different platforms that stream and download with youtube youtube used to pull down videos that were not licensed now they just realized that it's a losing battle so youtube now licenses there if i like if i just did a bob dylan song and put it on youtube i haven't done it yet but i'm like if i just did a video in my room and said here's my version of a bob dylan song i think what would happen is they would just life take some of the money if people started viewing that video a lot and pay it direct youtube would pay directly mm-hmm. to uh to the dylan publishing company but i'm not exactly sure of that because i haven't gone that route yet but what i do know is it's there's there's a difference if you don't change lyrics then that's for mechanical licensing if you're just doing a straight cover of a song in its original form you know obviously you're doing you can change the you know uh, arrangement of it a little but if you're doing all the lyrics and in the spirit of the original song there's no problem at all for instance he, here are two tales that will go with this when in uh, before i did kids music or maybe it was during when i was uh, doing kids music i put out a uh, a non for kids record a not for kids record called ancient ruins mm-hmm. and on the record i do covers of a print song nirvana a nirvana song right, totally. and a grand grandmaster flash song Prince was like, I was a huge Prince fan in high school. And I did this cover of one of his songs and I went to license it and it wasn't available at Harry Fox. Like all the other ones were like, 
um, actually Nirvana's wasn't, I had to call their publishing company separately. You know, the Jonathan Richmond, I did a cover of, he wasn't at Harry Fox. So all this stuff I probably wouldn't have done if I knew then what I know now, because it was a big pain in the neck contacting <laughs> publishing companies individually. Uh-huh. So, but Prince wasn't at Harry Fox. So the Nirvana people were totally nice. They were like, yeah, you could do it. Just uh, write us a check and send it fine. It was easy to get everyone else, but Prince is, uh, he was with Universal, I guess, at the time. And I called them and they're like, no, um, Prince doesn't allow covers of the song. And I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't allow covers? I, I'm, I'm seeking a mechanical license. I didn't change the lyrics or anything. I knew the law. And they're like, sorry, Prince doesn't allow covers of his songs. And I'm like, well, I happen to know that I'm allowed to put it out. I'm just asking you, you know, for the form, who I send it to, because you guys aren't registered with Harry Fox. He's like, hold on, because I was being persistent. He gets back on like 10 minutes later. He's like, all right, you're correct. Like begrudgingly, they're like, fine, we know that's the law, you can do a cover. And they gave me this whole rigmarole. You have to sign up here, send this form into this address. So I must have sent like, there must have been a glitch or I sent the wrong, you know, A form instead of the C form, whatever. But I sent them a check for $91 and everything, which they did not cash. And then when my record came out, they, I got a call from a lawyer at Universal saying, like, please send us the thousand CDs. We need to destroy them. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, you didn't send the right form in. We don't want you covering the print song. I was like, you guys, this is, I did everything in good faith. I sent you the money. I sent the form in. It's legal. You're allowed to get a mechanical license. They were like, it doesn't matter. So they were trying to, like, for some reason, Prince, who, has, who had done covers before of other people's songs, mm-hmm. for some reason, I mean, could, we can guess what the reason was. He was exploited by different record companies and felt like very possessive of his songs, rightly so. But stop, the, the, the rule is you could do a cover. So I called my friend in a panic who was like a Harvard Law graduate. And he's like, uh, let me give him a call. And he gave them a call and they never bothered me again after that. I guess he oh, accused man. them of de- dealing in bad faith and everything. So... You know, there's some trouble if if someone doesn't have their songs with like a easy, easily accessible agency like Harry Fox, it's probably not worth the trouble doing it because I don't know why they would. They don't. I, I don't see why. You know. Now, so that I learned my lesson. I'm not going to cover a Prince song anymore. He didn't want it covered. I I thought I was honoring him by doing a cover. He was like in high school. I was obsessed with Prince. I thought this would be great. He'll love this, but apparently not. Mm. So. That, that was my, that's my Prince tale. Now, as far as kids music, here's a very interesting tale um, to me anyway. So the first kids record I did, I didn't realize all, I didn't know about all this stuff with licensing. I just did what I wanted to do. I made a, a record with like 18 songs in it. I'm talking about five cent piece. Mm-hmm. I forgot the exact number, but about half of them were covers. There were nine le- covers on, on the record that I needed to license. So at the end, when the record was all out, I did Harry Fox and all of a sudden they're like, okay, $950 will be your fee. I was like, what? Like it was an extra thousand dollars of expenses that I didn't budget for because I didn't know about the cost of licensing because mm. I had so many covers on it. But when I, so, so Woody Guthrie has a famous song. Everyone knows it. It's called so long been good to know you. Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone uses it as a goodbye song, including me, but the re- the real song is about being in a dust storm in Oklahoma in the 1930s and like saying goodbye to everyone because you're about to die and choke to death on dust. You know, (laughs) that's what the song's really about. But I used it as a goodbye song and changed the little lyrics fine, innocently enough. But I also made my own song, change the lyrics to hello, it's so good to see you. Uh And I used to bookend my live shows, you know, in 2006 or four, whenever it was that I started doing this. And and, um, I bookended the record with it also those two songs. So I called up what he, they, so, so long been good to know you was on Harry Fox, but I was like, well, I changed the lyrics though. 
So I know for that, you need a derivative license, it's called. So you, a mechanical license is only good if you're doing a straight cover and not changing lyrics. If you want to change the lyrics, you have to get the permission of the writer and the publisher to do so. Okay. I called up Woody Guthrie's publishing company and I told them my situation. And she goes, have, and, and this is Woody Guthrie's publishing company telling me this on the phone when I'm, when I'm licensing all the songs for my first record. The lady says, so have you told anyone else that you're changing the lyrics yet at this company except for me? And I'm like, no, I'm just calling you now for full disclosure, to be honest, and find out what I have to do. She goes, this is what you do. Just license the t song twice as a mechanical license, as if you're not changing the lyrics, and then just put it on the record. I'm like, what? Isn't that illegal? She's like, don't tell anyone you're doing it. Otherwise, it'll be a whole rigmarole. We'll have to approve your changed lyrics. It might be a year before you could release your record, and it's the same cost, and we're not going to give you a percentage of the publishing. It's a Woody Guthrie song. So, all, so she's like, it's, you know, just do it that way. So I'm like, wow, you know, that's interesting. That's a, that's a company telling me, just get a regular mechanical license, change the lyrics as long as you're doing it in good faith. It was very casual. I don't know how they'd react now but so for my first record i changed what he got through his lyrics but i just took out a mechanical license i mean i did it in good faith i renewed the license every time i printed more cds mm -hmm. um but that was interesting and, and, it, and it happened several times like the song freight train is an elizabeth cotton cover but the per the way i learned that song was a person asked me to sing it at his kid's party and i was like oh okay and i went and listened to the lyrics and it was totally inappropriate for a kids party like the chorus is a, is nice you know freight train freight train run so fast mm -hmm. but the lyrics are all about like burying me deep and i'm going to die and all this stuff oh, so wow. i just i just made up my own lyrics and licensed it as a regular mechanical license now i'm doing it in my mind in good faith and you know uh i don't think anyone would disapprove. I think the law of derivative licensing is effect because no one wants his song changed to the point to something they wouldn't approve of and then claimed as that person's song. You know, I don't want someone taking my song, you know, Mosquito Song and making some disgusting horror movie about it and saying, this is a Randy Kaplan song. Then I look bad, you know? So that's the purpose of that law. Especially like in our genre where someone could take something and next thing you know, it's like, well, this is totally not kid appropriate. And this is representing right. something that I created. And that, you know, that's right. Not, that's not cool. So we as an artist, we need to retain some control over that. I'm going to jump in here real quick because I want to make sure that people understand that Harry Fox Agency is online. It's as easy as going to their website, doing a quick Google search. You can find them, go online, sign up and and. That's how it is. I've only done one cover. We did it on our last our last album. And yeah. I was totally nervous about it though. I was like, oh my God, you know, Iggy Pop. We did an Iggy Pop cover. And I was like, oh, you know. Oh wow. But I was I was nervous all the way through. Now, when you get when it comes time to actually release it, then what do you do on the uh, CD, the jacket and stuff to Oh, yeah, yeah. What's what's that? On, part on of the it? jacket, you you say, you know, there's the little things that confuse everyone and still if i'm not like concentrating i get confused between the c in a circle and the p in the circle mm -hmm. the c as far as i remember is the could be the other way around see i have to <laughs> when i when it comes down to doing it every two years i get my mind straight about it but there's no real need to now one of them represents the intellectual property so the song and one of them represents the physic the sound recording so even when you do a cover you own the sound recording of it the, the the actual so you get royalties for the intellectual property and for the sound recording actually nowadays with with like uh, satellite radio 
Mm-hmm. Like if you're a mem- if you're a performer and your stuff's out there digitally, you have to sign up for Sound Exchange. They're like the preeminent company that collects digital royalties. So you get royalties. You don't get intellectual property royalties from Sound Exchange. That for that you have to join ASCAP or BMI or one of those societies that collects intellectual property royalties for you. That's if someone does a cover of your song, you get paid for being the writer. But Sound Exchange is a company that will collect royalties for you for A, owning the sound recording that gets played. So it's despite whose song it is, it doesn't matter. And B, for being the featured performer of that piece. Hmm. So the way it, it is now is that you could do a cover song. And if your song gets played in a digital medium, you're getting way more money than the writer of that song. Because ASCAP collects, as far as my experience goes, I get, I get less royalties for my writing than I do for my performance and ownership of my sound recording. That's, that's a record company's gamble. If they give you money to make a record, they own the sound recording, which is half the royalties you'll ever get in, as far as it's playing digital. Mm-hmm. And as far as intellectual property goes, then there's the writing and the publishing. You'll, you'll always be, unless you sell it like a fool, your writing portion. But even if someone buys your publishing for 100% of the publishing share, that's still half of the intellectual property. The writing is the other half. Intellectual property-wise, if I say I write a song, I own 100% of the publishing, which means I own the writer's share and the publisher's share. So mm-hmm. ASCAP's going to pay me anything they get minus their little fee. But if I say, if I have a publishing company that comes to me and says, hey, we like your catalog, we want to pay you $100,000 and then we own all of your publishing. You know, you can make a deal for whatever percent. I'll get that money, but then any royalties that come in for people covering my song or for my song being played, any, the, the royalties that come in for the people that created the intellectual property, they'll get the publishing for publishing it and I'll still get the writing share. But I, I understand you can go, well, I'm going to give my friend 50% of it because we kind of co-wrote it together. Or, so you're in charge of the writing share too, but the publishing company will be buying mostly your publishing as far as I understand. It. Now, separate from that, then there's, then there's the performance of the actual record. So a, that's where the record company comes in. Record companies are different than publishing companies. I own a record company. I mean, I have my own record company in name, Yellow Thing Records and Books, but I never went as far as to incorporate it or make a limited liability company or anything like that. But one of my records was released by a record company, ironically, Universal, who I had this scrim- sparring <laughs> with over Prince. And I never I never brought up to them, like, I'm the guy who tried to license that Prince. You know? so, my friend's, so you, a, my, my friend's an attorney, by the way, just so you know. Is that, right, that exactly. help? That doesn't Maybe help, you remember him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, Universal had the, the – my kazoo music was working with Universal, UME, and they, they signed I – I was working on my, you know – my epic record, Mr. Diddy Wad Diddy, which is like my, I considered like the, I put so much into it. It was a 20 page educational booklet. And, and the timing was perfect because that was the only time I got a record company offering me, you know, we'll give you this and this amount of money oh, nice. and we want to release your record. So I was like, okay. So they own, Universal owns my sound recording for, of Mr. Diddy Wad Diddy, which limits what I can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't manufacture it myself. And they have to manufacture it. I have to buy my CDs off of them. And, but they were amazing. They published the whole thing exactly how I wanted. I had total artistic license. I had published the 20-page booklet. However, that album was filled with... Cu- I didn't write anything. I mean, I did write original lyrics and arrangements. But as far as the source songs go, every song was based on a pre-World War II country blues or ragtime song. So it was, a so- it was an album honoring my guitar idols. So every song was either a straight cover, which was easy because I did it through Harry Fox, 
Or if I change the words, Universal was very strict. They were like, no fudging here, despite that crazy Woody Guthrie story you told us. You have to contact each publisher and get their written permission in a contract that they're allowing you to. I was like, oh, my God, what have I signed up for? So this was like a full time job for weeks, me. And I'm like, oh, great. My record company will do that. They're like, no, you have to do that still. I'm like, what? What? what?" So like they were putting me to work. I had to contact each publisher and say, listen, I'm changing the lyrics. And some of these blues songs were owned by crazy companies that have bought them from other people. And a lot of them were in Europe. And I'm like making long distance calls at that time and finally getting a hold of a guy who like, they didn't even know they owned the song and I had to get the in writing. And so all of my songs were approved, thank goodness, because the record was done and it was an artistic hole that I didn't want to have to take songs off of. And they said, I got approval for every song they listened to it and said, okay, yeah, you could change the lyrics. And then the weird thing about derivative licensing is then you are, then you can ask for a percentage of the publishing since it's really a derivative work. It's based on their work, but it's a new work. Some of them said, okay, you can keep 25% of the writing credit, but that's what, that was only on a couple, two or three songs. The vast majority were like, you can do our song call it whatever title you want. Some of them made me change the title, but we keep a hundred percent of the publishing. They were just inflexible and they were holding all the cards since the record was ready to be released by universal. And they knew that they didn't have to cede any royalties to me. So that's what happened with that record. It was a long process. And you know, that was all on as, as on the up and up as you could be because a record company was involved. Not only that, but they made me get all my friends who played on the record to sign contracts that they understand that the money I paid them for the session was all that they were entitled to. You know, usually I'm just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you play drums on this uh, app for this afternoon, you know, it's usually very casual, Mm -hmm. but that was like my taste of, you know, the real professional music industry, how it's, how it should be done. Right. That work for her, that, that work for hire agreement with anybody who plays on your album should unfortunately be one of the first things you do before you, you know, before you hit the record where you're just That's like, right. okay, this is it. This is, I'm just paying you for your time. You don't own anything. You can't come back because if this, because right. you never know what's going to happen. And uh, right. I say, I say that having actually, knowing full well that I should do that and having never done it. So. Right. I mean, it's the same thing as like, it's, it's that reaction I have like when like a prenuptial agreement, I would never sign one and I would never ask anyone to sign one. It seems like you're just, it's so, it's so against the spirit of the thing. Mm-hmm. Like when I go and record with my friends, I would feel really, I felt really weird at that point. They see it. They were all cool about it, but it was, at least I was able to play good cop, bad cop and be like, listen, Universal's making me make you sign this. It's kind of cheesy, you know, or weird, but yeah, it's, it just feels, it feels weird, but you know, you got to be a businessman also. And, you know, it's true that if, if someone in my past ever wanted to be like, oh, I played on that record, I'm going to sue him for money. If I made enough money on it, they would probably be entitled to some of the royalties, even though it was a tacit understanding between us that, is at work, that it was a work for hire. And for our audience that doesn't know what work for hire means, I think you just explained it. It just means you're, I'm hiring you to do this and there's no royalties that you're able to get. You have no ownership of, of your yeah. performance or, or the recording mm-hmm. or what happens with it, right? Yeah. Now, when I, when I do my, uh, when I do my um, covers of my friend's songs, mm-hmm. they don't make me pay, which I feel weird about. Like some of my friend's songs, if they're on Harry Fox, I'll just pay without asking them just whatever. But like I've done covers of Dan Byrne, Eleni Mandel, and um, Mike West, my producer. And, you know, I can't remember who I paid on Harry Fox. And I'm sure all of them were just like, just do it. It's fine. You know, it was like a verbal agreement. So, you know, 
that's one thing. But like, so if one of them asked me to play one of my songs, I would just say, go ahead. But Mm -hmm. I hope that when people cover my songs, they, I don't know if I'm on Harry Fox. I don't think I am. So sometimes I get a thing in the mail saying you're getting this royalty for this song. I don't, I don't quite know how I'm getting it, but Mm -hmm. I'll take it, you know? (laughs) So I don't know. As Um, long as the check doesn't bounce, it's like, well, good. Thanks. Thanks. Good. Let's throw it in there. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, the big, the big difference between mechanical licensing is for not changing lyrics. Derivative licensing is for when you do change lyrics and you technically need to get permission, but it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission than we, as we all know. So sometimes if you're, Want to, if you're a risky guy and you want to take the chance, I mean, if you don't make a million dollars on it, no one's even going to notice. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I like to do things on the up and up unless like Woody Guthrie, in this case, the, the company flat out tells me just do a mechanical license. Um, but we need to talk about parody before we run out of time because that's huge. Well, yeah, that's, right? the, that's the thing. And there's a difference between a derivative license and a parody. Isn't yeah. there? Okay, so definitely. Okay, so what's the what's the difference? Because it sounds the same in a way where you're like, well, I'm just yeah. gonna, you know, we're like uh, Al Yankovic went to Paul McCartney and he said, I want to do Live and Let Die, but I want to do Chicken Pot Pie, and Paul McCartney said, no, right. because I'm a vegetarian and I don't think that's cool, and it was like, okay, so he didn't do it. Now that could however, be just, however, go ahead. He could do it. He has the legal right to do it. Weird Al got into a fight with someone years ago. He, it was a misunderstanding. Someone didn't approve of one of his parodies mm-hmm. and he didn't like that. He likes, he wanted everyone to like his parodies and approve of them, but he has, but you have the right to make a parody. You certainly, we certainly know parody and satire are usually thought of. It has a connotation of making fun of the original work, like a satire. You're really using comedy to make a, a serious statement and, and critique about something political or in the public world. Right. Mm-hmm. And a parody is usually seen as making fun of the original. It doesn't have to be, but usually is, but you can parody something that's as long as it's so popular that people understand that it's not the real song and that, um, and that you're making fun of it. And for when you parody a song, you technically, legally, as far as I understand from reading a million things, everything I get my hands on, you don't even have to license it. So I could have parodied the Maroon 5 song, Sugar, which was my wife's idea, um, and without even getting the license from them. Because mm-hmm. it's a parody and it's such a famous song that everyone knows it's not the real song and everyone knows I'm parodying it, which is making fun of it or do, making a comment on it you know now it gets gray here because weird al songs who i saw this summer here in michigan he was amazing it was way better than i ever could have imagined his concert so weird al his parodies are clearly whether they're warm-hearted or not they're making they're taking that song as a are they making fun of it this is all up for interpretation is like a surgeon making fun of like a virgin or is it just being silly with it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's a parody and there, and it clearly fits into the category of parody. So he doesn't even have to pay a royalty, but he wants to, so he could go ahead and, and do a print song. He could do a Paul McCartney. He could do whatever he wants, but he on purpose wants to be, wants to get the approval of the artist. Now my hunch here is that Weird Al is going to sell millions of records. So if, if everyone, 90% of people would want Weird Al to do a parody of their song, and Weird Al probably, I'm imagining, calls them up and says, hey, I want to do a parody of your song. You approve? Yeah. All right. My usual deal is we split the publishing 50-50. And anyone in their right mind would go, okay. Oh, sure. Because you're just getting free money. from. But however, if I called up that person and said, hey, I'm Randy Kaplan. Never heard of you. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good with the kids' world music. You know, I want to do a parody of your song. Can I have 50% of the uh, publishing? They would say, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So 
I'm not getting any publishing. That's my hunch. It's not public as far as I can find out what Weird Al's particular deal is with each creator, with each writer. But he's got to be getting publishing money. Otherwise, what's the, you know, he's so famous and, and, and does so well and he's so good at it that everyone would want them, him to parody the song. So anyway, when I did a parody of Sugar, first of all, I have like a slight connection. I know, I know someone who knows Adam Levine mm. and I was like, Hey, should I just call Adam Levine? Can you get me in touch with him? And I could run my lyrics by him and get it licensed as a derivative work just to be safe. And maybe he'll even give me some publishing. And they were like, are you adding a mind? No, I'm not calling Adam Levine. He'll, he'll, he, he doesn't treat me nicely, you know, or something like that. I was like, <laughs> all right. I was like, all right, well, I'll just do it as a parody then, but I'll just pay a mechanical license to be safe and show good faith that I, you know, so I did it as a parody, but I also paid a mechanical license because I just figured he deserves it. They de- and it's not just him. It's like there are 10 songwriters on that song. You know, they deserve it. I'm using their song. So I think I went overboard with doing stuff like that. Now, there's other other things where I parodied. You could do – and once something's in the public domain, then it's just all bets are off. Two of my favorite songwriters who I don't know if they would consider themselves songwriters, Blind Blake and Blind Boy Fuller. Those guys' songs are in the public domain. So when I take their songs and whether I do straight covers or, or whether I do my own, they're just free, which is weird, but you know. Okay. And so that's, that's the other, the other group. But before we jump into the the public domain stuff, I want to just ask a couple <laughs> more questions about the parodies. Yeah. Do you think that you're mm-hmm. actually exposing yourself to some liability because you go and you get the mechanical license, even though you're doing a parody? Is that muddying the waters? I mean, if you can just do yeah. a parody without without permission and just basically take a hundred percent of everything that comes in getting the mechanical license, then kind of, it starts to kind of muddy the intent, doesn't it? I do agree with that. I I definitely agree with that. It muddies the water, but to me, the moral payoff works for me. Like I, like I don't, first of all, if I made a lot of money on one of these parodies and someone came to me and said, I I would, I'm willing to, you know, have someone adjudicate the thing and say what's fair. Cause this is all, it's all murky. Like my wife did a, uh, a song called she, she took the song from coal miners daughter. You're not, what is the original song? You're not woman enough to take my man or something right. like that. Yeah. And she changed it to you're still baby enough to hold my hand. Mm-hmm. To, she changed the lyrics so that it was to my son who was like going through a stage where he thought he was like too cool to hold her hand in public or something like that. For, mm-hmm. Maybe it was like from one instance and I said, Oh, that would be funny. So we changed all the lyrics and it got played a little bit, but I think like, um, Kenny and or Mindy, I forgot who from kids place live. I had a conversation with them about it that, and we had a really cool discussion about it. Like, does it count as a parody for it to be a parody? It has to be very recognizable by a vast majority of the public. Like, Oh, this is based on that song. That's so popular. It's so easily recognizable as a parody. So we were like, we don't know if anyone hears this, they're not going to be like, Oh, that's the song from coal miners daughter. You know, mm-hmm. they're just not going to, Oh, you know, no one's going to, it's a, it's a very niche niche audience who knows that. So, Again, that's the murky, cool, gray area where like, it's up for debate whether it's a parody or not. Again, mm-hmm. I muddied the waters even further by paying for that. <laughs> you know, I released it in my, with my you know, little faux label. I paid for it as a mechanical license, even though we changed the lyrics. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I can tell you, like, I heard that song, I think it was on Kids Place Live, and I got it right away. Country, country Western music, you know, is huge. And Coal Miner's Daughter right. was huge. And so I got it right away. I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I didn't think right. of it as a parody. I thought of it as maybe more of a derivative work because it wasn't poking fun at the original. But right. but, I, so, but that yeah. seems so open to interpretations. So that's kind of... That's, 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 that's it. That's, that's the height of the discussion. You can't 
as I tell students when we're discussing literature, if you're in that uh, that ambiguous ambiguous area, that's already the highest. You're not gonna you're not gonna go to a higher level by resolving it to one way or the other. There's two different ways to look at it. Now, maybe it was a business decision or in the interest of expediting the process. I I was like, well, if I try to get a derivative work, they could deny that mm-hmm. and say, no, we don't want you doing that. Then I can't go. Well, now it's a parody, you know, right? Because that shows that I knew it wasn't. So just we said well it's a parody you know and it could be up for interpretation so again these things are weird and not not really fully explained any anywhere that i could find i've done a lot of of that a lot of research this is i i'm i I would love if someone called you up after this or emailed and said kaplan's wrong about these three things i would love to be you know you know told what i'm thinking how my thinking's wrong because this is just how it's developed over by my own experience and doing my best to research what what you're allowed to do you know well, yeah, and I think I think it's important to, and I always uh, I would encourage anybody out there who's going to do anything like a parody or a cover or a derivative, do it on the up and up. Don't assume that yep. nobody's ever going to hear this because first off, that opens mm-hmm. up for huge liability. Second, it's completely disrespectful to the artist to not totally. po- not to pony up ninety bucks to right. you know to to do this because you know it it all comes around basically then. That's right. Worst case scenario is I couldn't agree more. It blows up and you make a million bucks, and then suddenly you're looking at a huge lawsuit. And because Mm -hmm. you know, if you get because if you if there's money, people are going to follow it, and that's that's right. That's the the downside. Okay, so and I'm just going to jump in real quick to say you did a cover of the song uh, Mr. Baseman, and then on the same Mm -hmm. album did Mr. Spaceman. So besides being like creatively awesome and and economically fun especially if you use the same backing tracks <laughs> which i don't think you did oh but, yeah but if you did that would no be, we did it we did it because i because i used a minor i used a minor in one of the songs in baseman and i changed it to a major for mr spaceman it just felt better yeah totally um, um, you know it's like a typical boogie um like r&b rhythm not r&b like doo-wop rhythm and uh-huh. chord change one six four five i think but yeah that's an interesting song i don't know if you knew this part so the original mr baseman I first I the, the holy modal rounders did a song called Mr. Spaceman where they talked about the moon mission. In the race to the moon, in the race to the moon. Mm. That's know. the first I heard that song. And I was like, oh, I want to cover Mr. Spaceman and change it to Mars. Then when I went to license it, and now by now at this point in my career, I was doing it right. I was like, all right, is this worth doing? Let me look into the licensing. And I found this song, and I realized that Mr. Spaceman by the Holy Modal Rounders was already a parody of Mr. Baseman by Johnny Symbol. Mr. Baseman, you've got that certain something. Mr. Baseman, you said that music. Oh, wow. So now I was like, what? What's Mr. Baseman? So then I learned the song Mr. Baseman. And I was like, oh, I love this song. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do a parody of Mr. Spaceman. <laughs> so it got really convoluted there. Oh, that's great. And liter- honestly, right now, I don't remember how it worked out. I obviously paid for the mechanical license for Mr. Baseman, and then I think I paid the Holy Modal Rounders for their their uh, arrangement of Mr. Spaceman. And, you know, it was some crazy thing, because that gets really... That's a puzzle by this point. I'm doing a parody of a parody. And now just because we can, it's Mr. Baseman by Randy Kaplan. Hey, Mr. Baseman, you got that certain something. Hey, Mr. Baseman, you set that music thumping to you, it's easy. 
go one, two, three, ba 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 ba. You mean ba 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 ba. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Bassman, you're on all the songs with the did did boom boom and the did did ba 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 boom. Hey, Mr. Bassman, you're the hidden king of rock and roll. Did ba ba ba. No, no, ba 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 boom boom. Oh, it don't mean a thing when the lead is singing. Or when he goes hi 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 hey Mr. Bassman, I'm asking just one thing. Will you teach me? Mm, yeah, the way you sing. 'Cause Mr. Bassman, I wanna be a bassman too. Try this. Now you. Try this, ba 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 ba. Let them try. Hey, kids. Come on, kids. Ba ba bum. Don't be such a ba ba bum. Come on, ba 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 ba. Lower. This is not Mr. Alto. It's the boy soprano. It's the bass. Come on, Mr. Countertenor over here. Guys, that was really out of tune. I mean, out of time. Let's do that again. That's both. Okay, now off the same album, just a few tracks later, it's Mr. Spaceman. In a race to the star, next stop is Mars. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, you sure have started something. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, don't you know you got his heart a thumping? Oh, Mr. Spaceman, my kid, he wants to be a spaceman too. My boy, oh, Mr. Spaceman, Mars is the new norm, but it's gonna be terrible until it's terraformed. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, I heard Venus、uh, ain't half bad. Sure, we'd have to float 30 miles high so the atmospheric pressure wouldn't crush us. Then there's the sulfuric acid rain. The complete absence of molecular oxygen. Bit closer to home, though, isn't it? 25 million miles. That's nothing. It's half the distance to Mars. That giant Jupiter's got more moons than it needs. Callisto, Europa, Io, and Ganymede. Like 65 other ones, how come they don't all collide? I'd ask Carl Sagan if I could. He was my best friend's grandmother's cousin by marriage. We can't live on a gas giant anyway. I know that everyone does, especially one that's 400 million miles away. Hey, how about Mercury? Its axis has no tilt. I understand it's not too hot in the polar regions. What? 57 million miles away? That's further than Mars. Forget it. Cross it off the list.
My kid talks about space, man. From dawn to dusk, I say get off my case, man. Go talk to Elon Musk, he's Mr. Space Man. Just click the careers link on the SpaceX site. <laughs> you could be an intern there. One small step for a boy. One giant leap for a boy's mind. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, you sure have started something. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, certainly got my heart a-thumping. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, my boy wants to be a spaceman too. Yodelay, 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 yodelay. Stick around down here, son, we can yodel together. Listen to Jimmy Rogers and stuff. I'd be pretty broken up if you left for the red planet. My mom, your Mima, she was upset enough when I left for California. And you should have seen her mom, my Nana, when Uncle Bruce left for Japan. Oh, she nearly lost her marbles. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, he hates his car seat so when we go anywhere, he doesn't want to go. Oh, Mr. Spaceman, 50 million miles is a bit too far. Okay, boy, you know how we drive upstate to Charlevoix every summer? That's 250 miles. Takes about four hours, right? Yeah, Daddy. So 500 miles, eight hours round trip without stops, right? You following me? Yeah, I'm following. Going to Mars would be like going back and forth to Charlevoix 100,000 times. That's one round trip every day for about 275 years. All right, I know the spaceship goes a little faster than my car. But even so, unless they got some sort of cryogenic freeze available, I can't imagine you sitting there for that long. And even if they did have cryogenic suspension, I'm not sure that would appeal to you either. We have enough trouble with you at bedtime now. Just imagine you, you and the commander, commander saying, okay, time to go into cryogenic freeze. And you, I don't want to go to hypersleep. Right? <laughs> well, he might not be as lenient as mommy and me. You never know. Missing intro. My cookie disappeared. Cool. So let's let's jump into real quick public domain because I've heard you do covers of uh, Erie Canal and like Mama mm-hmm. Don't Allow No Guitar Playing Around Here. And I don't know if you were actually nice. using. That's like yeah, that, that's my my friends Anne and James in L.A. had a, a store had a store called Play, like and they put out records and I did a lot of a lot of work for them. The public domain stuff, things fall into public domains public domain in different ways it could be that a lawyer dropped the ball at some point and didn't renew the copyright because i don't get it robert johnson is not public domain but blind boy fuller and blind blake are so i don't really get how that happened or why but you, you definitely have to check but once something if something's public domain you could do whatever you want with it i don't know how you know how it makes sense but it's just how it works how do you find something how do you find out if something is public domain Oh, there's besides finding out by negation, like by not being able to find it on Harry Fox, you could also find out by there's a whole list of public domain songs. I don't have the website in my mind completely, but um, it's somewhere online I was able to find like list of public domain songs. You can go to pdinfo.com. Yeah, and and if someone and if if you or someone wants to write me with details about that Mr. Spaceman thing, I could find out 
by going back to my to what I did and finding out because because uh, that would be interesting. I forgot offhand exactly how I handled it, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I I could give any of these details from any like if someone wants to write me and say how did you license this particular song? I have all the information on my computer. I could I'm an open book. I'll tell anyone exactly what I did. Now, uh, um, Andy, this this is fascinating. This uh, someone once stole one of my songs. This is a this is a good uh, counter story. My friend Byron and I wrote a song called um, called uh, the one for me, and it was like a real cool not not a kid song, but it's not inappropriate. It's like a real fun bluesy song. And we co-wrote it. And then this guy that he worked with, they used to do it when they were together. And then this guy put it out on his own record and said that he wrote it Ooh. in the liner notes. And I flipped out. I'm like, like, so injustice really gets to me. Oh, yeah. I call my friend Dan. I'm like, what should I do? Dan Burton, this is, and he goes, just punch him in the face. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I want, I want a legal recourse. <laughs> That's so not like, satisfying. <laughs> right. So I started calling like family connections. Do you know anyone who's a copyright lawyer? So I found a copyright lawyer and talk to a cousin of mine or a distant cousin. And they're like, yeah, you got a case, but I can't really meet you. So I, they recommended someone in New York city where I lived at the time. I went to his office and he, we had a whole talk. I explained my whole case to him and he was like, yeah, this is a clear cut case of copyright infringement. You can completely win. It's a hands down, obvious open and shut case. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And he's like, why would you want to do it? I'm like, what are you talking about? Justice. He goes, you'd have to pay me. Ten or twenty thousand dollars to execute this case, and you're this guy hasn't sold a million records. What has he sold? At most, a thousand records. You're going to get a hundred dollars from this. Mm-hmm. So if you're like a billionaire and you want to go just seek justice and get this guy, you know, burn him, then you could do it. But it's totally not worth it. Just call him up. I'll send him a cease and desist letter. So I, you know, I wish I were a billionaire because I, I'm a justice seeker. You know, sure. so this would be. I want this guy put in his place. So they sent him a letter of cease and desist, and I got my friend who was in touch with him to talk to him and he did it again he agreed not to do it but he and he he put it on a different record and wrote like he wrote like that he was a co-writer with me and byron which he was not at all so this just this was really angering but again when money is not when it's not feasible to sue you know now i'm not saying to anyone like go ahead and do whatever you want because you're not going to sell any records no one's going to care that's a terrible attitude so i agree with you do things on the up and up because just like this guy, yeah, he could get away with stealing a Randy Kaplan song. And he, if he thinks, well, I'm not going to ever sell, you know, this lawyer told me, wait until he has a number one hit for it. And then we'll go destroy it and <laughs> take all his money. I'm like, okay, you know, that's not going to happen. But it's just the, the, the fact that there's 2000 copies of this record out there with like the, uh, my song that says written by this guy is still angers me, you know? Well, and but, how, how many songs you know, do you, do you get in a career that people would want to cover? I mean, as, as far as like where I'm going, right. it's like it doesn't happen that often that you, you right. that I write a song that anybody else would actually want to pick up and do. And so when they do, mm-hmm. man, give me credit for it because this is this is mine. It's like Arlo, Arlo Guthrie joked about Bob Dylan that you know he's like I, I heard him play once. He goes, you know, we're not really we don't really write the songs. We can't take credit. We're songwriters. We fish in the river of creativity and we just catch the songs as they come by he goes unfortunately bob dylan is standing up river from most people <laughs> with a large <laughs> net and maybe throwing in the occasional stick of dynamite and it's like that's just not fair right, right exactly exactly hey randy 
I so appreciate your time today chatting with us about this topic and like laying it out. I knew from, I've heard you on other podcasts and stuff, and so I knew you were a deep cut when it came to these things, that you had you had a wealth of knowledge. And it's basic stuff when we get into this genre and we start to record. And so I, I totally appreciate you taking time to share uh, your your wisdom and your history and perspective on this topic. That was great, great talking to you. And, you know... I got a million other things checked off that are interesting as far as licensing goes or anecdotes about the licensing. So if you ever want to, like we could uh, continue the conversation because there's some other, (laughs) some other fun stories as far as contacting certain publishers and, you know, I understand. Like, I'm like, whoa! I'm talking to Bob Dylan's guy right now. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally love to hear that. I would, you know, the um, your great, your, my brush with greatness is just being able to talk to you. Your brush with greatness then gets to a totally different sphere of influence, which I totally <laughs> want to check out. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that immensely. Thank you. And there we go. A super fun conversation with Mr. Randy Kaplan on licensing and derivative work, mechanical licensing. Uh, oh boy, we covered a whole lot of territory. And I guess I, I probably should say at this point, information provided to you, dear listener, on Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy should no way be construed to be legal advice. You, you need to figure this out on your own. And uh, these are some perfect, these are some great guidelines that we talked about today. And you can follow those and learn more on your own. But this is, you know, this is high level stuff for you to figure it out. Don't go sue Randy because he told you how to do this when, you know, it goes afoul for you. But it's not going to go afoul for you. It was great advice. It was a great conversation. Okay. So now we all know what we have to do. We can go and uh, we can basically steal Randy's songs, call them parodies, and put them out again. And that's like, that's great. We should make sure that uh, Mr. Kaplan's stuff is. Also, oh wait, is it time to go? That's time to go. Okay, so I'm not going to give you any advice about stealing Randy's songs. Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, like, like us, do it. Like playing games We all like to be hugged and loved Tucked in our beds at night 